Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So guys, did you enjoy our very fun and very first interview with Poppy Ajuda? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed listening back to it. I enjoyed pretending to be Zach Sang, like I said before. <laughs> and I also just enjoyed like a new platform for us because it's exciting to like expand on something that we're already doing and try and make these artists more accessible. Because like we say all the time, a good way to empower fangirls is to remind our fellow fangirls that musicians are just normal people who care about the same things that we care about. And it's nice to have educated conversations with them. Yes. Poppy is so smart. She was literally the perfect guest for us. Nothing is ever going to top that. So be prepared. But we are excited to like <laughs> see like where this leads and what can happen in the future. And we know like interviews aren't everyone's cup of tea, but we are trying to make them everyone's cup of tea, especially when we get to have like these <laughs> conversations that are super important. Yeah. And it's really nice, like I said, to like have kind of atypical conversations where we're still talking about them as artists, but also bringing in themes that we talk about on Name Three Songs. So it'll be really exciting to get some people on who you can like tell have feminist vibes. You can tell care about fangirls in the same way because they are fangirls themselves, but they don't ever really talk about that because so many interviews are very just like specific and what they're talking about but also like men can't relate so Zach saying could never but that but that's like part of the problem is men think gender studies is not for them so then they don't bother to do any of the work or not that they don't think it's for them but it's not always welcoming and so they don't bother to do any of the work and also just knowing to where to start in general true like guys if you ever need to know where to start just listen, just listen to any episode of our podcast and then find your way through the wormhole and then <laughs> You'll be just as smart as us. <laughs> yeah, everybody send your favorite male interviewers our way and we'll like prep them so that all interviews are feminist from now on. Uh, we can dream. So we are excited to like have more interviews in the future. So always stay tuned because those are going to be dropping on like Wednesdays as a little treat every now and then. But with all that being said, Sarah, what are we getting into today? And can you like enlighten us on how we landed on this topic? Yeah, today's conversation is actually a really interesting one and a really important one. And I think also a topic that felt like it could be a thing, but we weren't 100% sure if we were making it up or not. The original thought process behind this was like ah yes streets for the gays because I kept seeing Charlie XCX like popping up on my Twitter feed all by like gay male journalists that I follow and I was like what's going on here and I mentioned it to Jenna and she was like so I found like 300 links so we can actually yeah. do an episode <laughs> about this and I was like 
fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because so I actually got to see Charlie XCX a few weeks ago in April in Austin, and she's amazing, so much fun. But I hadn't seen her since 2014, so I didn't know that her audience was like 95% gay men. And I showed up, and it, it was literally wild. Like I had no idea. I'm not like on Charlie Stan Twitter or anything. I just like really love her music, and I was so shook, and I was like, is she even like? I'm like, is she straight? Like, is she like part of the LGBTQ community? I'm like, what? I don't understand. And so then we started talking through different quote unquote queer icons who like maybe themselves aren't even queer, but like are still like loved and adored by the gay community. And yeah, it turns out here we are with a whole episode for you guys. Well, also like another thing that put this light bulb on in my head was with Harry Styles's cover feature for Better Homes and Gardens, which was like honestly the best Harry Styles interview ever. Yes, it kind of took away the persona a little bit, which you guys know I hate when that happens. But this interviewer was so well-spoken and just like so good at speaking with him and being respectful about who he is as a person that I was like, okay, this is incredible. But his like response to like his sexuality and him sort of being like, yeah, like I don't need to talk about it. My friends know what's up, which again sort of feels like him pointing at, yeah, I'm, I'm not just an ally, but you'll never fucking know because I will continue to date women that all look the same in public. (laughs) And so it's just like that interesting thing where there's so many levels to like LGBTQ plus ally-ness within music and like who the LGBTQ plus community kind of gravitates towards. Because also like on TikTok, it's like, oh, lesbians for Louis. And it's like, what the fuck is that about? Like, how did that happen? (laughs) And so there's just a lot of really interesting discourse. (laughs) And Lisa, sort of talked about this in like our slash fic fan fiction episodes about kind of finding representation where it doesn't exist and I feel like that theme also exists in today's episode which is just like how gay men are obsessed with divas like pop stars what have you whatever you want to call them and it's just a really interesting phenomenon and also can like again get a little sinister because anything when men are involved can always become sinister by accident because that pre-learned misogyny is there (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's just how they're programmed guys misogyny is in all of us as we love to say yeah so there's a lot to unpack today but we are going to be focusing on gay men and pop stars specifically i just thought that those other themes were interesting to point out as well of just like how much is going on here (laughs) I think another thing that's interesting about Harry is like, as we've talked about in the past is it's like, here's a few things that we've said in the past is like, number one, nobody owes you their sexuality. And just because they're celebrity doesn't mean they have to be out or doesn't mean they have to be out like to their fans and to the general public. But it is interesting that... Harry has been so lauded especially by like the girls and like the queer community and a lot of fans like coming out at his shows and stuff like that and something that we've also said on this podcast is like oh like why don't you just support like people who are actually out or who are like actually speaking on these topics but it's kind of like a it's kind of like a balance system because it's like you don't always your sexuality but also support people who like are showing us their sexuality you know what I mean it's kind of interesting 
Yeah. No, for sure. Because it's, again, also like that pressure to be like, you have to like people who are out or you have to like this sort of thing. And it's like, again, in the same way that nobody owes us their sexuality, nobody owes somebody of their same, you know, sexuality or whatever, their fandom in that same regard. But like, I don't know, this is another topic we're going to be like getting into a little bit in this episode of just kind of that thing where you don't have to like it, but you should appreciate and respect it and like celebrate it when like artists are able to come out because for so long you we have had artists who had to remain in the closet for their own safety just like back in the day before being out was like even legal which like America's trying to cancel that again but I'm getting so sidetracked because there's so many problems there's so many problems with America there's so many problems in general in regards to just like how straight cis white men are like trying to control the narrative and put everybody who doesn't look and act like them away into jail. And so anyway, I'm getting way sidetracked because when it comes to talking about the LGBTQ plus community, there's so much ostracization that they face. There's so much negativity that they've had to deal with. And finding solace in these pop stars and these pop icons is not a bad thing. And it's something that I think is honestly like in reading all these articles, it can be a very beautiful relationship, but also in some points it can turn kind of petty and messy, which is, I think, kind of like an interesting thing to like realize and reckon with, really, because I think a lot of people don't want to admit that that side of things does exist, because if you're not part of it, you really, really want to distance yourself to the point where you might ignore it. But ignoring when people are acting negatively doesn't ever really help anything. And so it's just like a really interesting juxtaposition. And so To start this conversation off, we thought it would make the most sense to kind of give just like a little bit of background about why some psychologists and some people who kind of study gay culture in media and just in the world in general, like believe that gay men are so drawn to the pop star icon. We have an article called Why Do Gay Men Idolize Female Pop Stars, which is written by Bobby Box in 2019 for In Magazine. And Bobby actually talks to a psychotherapist and sexuality expert named Jeff Larson, who says that this idea of queer men having obsessive relationships with their pop stars is called reactive projection. And so Larson goes on to say, we as gay men often see female pop stars, especially when the star has been perceived to really fight or struggle for her dominance or longevity like Taylor or Madonna or Cher with our own struggle for full acceptance regarding our sexuality. And then he goes on to say, this struggle and the perceived victory over the struggle, think Britney Spears, only adds to the perceived fabulousness of the female icons. So Bobby goes on to explain that the concept behind reactive projection is that these gay men see their favorite pop icons struggles and tribulations to be similar to their personal gay struggles and so they feel that they face similar things within their lives and going on from there the reaction can intensify so much to the point where these gay men project an alliance and attachment onto or with the pop stars with whom they identify most. And so Larson says that reactive projection often leads to such a strong attachment that we may even want to emulate or be the artist. 
And Bobby goes on to say, let's face facts. Every adolescent gay boy has sung into a hairbrush in front of the mirror, emulating a strong, sassy lady. And Larson goes on to just say to him that he sees that with a lot of gay men and that you're not alone in doing that. And so I think that this is quite interesting. And it's also like a very common reoccurrence that we saw in almost all of these articles of this point of they see these pop icons facing having an uphill battle, facing tribulations, having turmoil in their lives, in their careers. And the gay men are like, I deal with that too because I'm a gay man in a patriarchy and therefore I am othered from other men. And therefore, like our struggles are similar because a path that I should be able to succeed in because, you know, men run the world and pop stars run the music world. And yet I can't succeed because I am other and I am gay. And I can see the parallels, but I also see how like these are two lines that are also very different. And so it's just a very interesting kind of juxtaposition of gay men equating themselves to these women when obviously homophobia is bad, misogyny is bad, but like gay men are never going to have to deal with making 77 cents to the dollar or these similar things that women have to deal with just because they were born without a dick. Yeah, yeah. It comes down to recognizing your privilege. Because like you just said, at the end of the day, there's still men. At the end of the day, men respect men more than men will ever respect women. And yes, we talk about toxic masculinity all the time. We talk about homophobia all the time. It's not to say that gay men don't face adversity. It's that the struggles are kind of similar but different. They align themselves in the fact that women struggle with femininity. Like women struggle with being judged for femininity and men, gay men also struggle with being judged for their femininity. And I think that like a lot of what we see and like a lot of the examples we're going to get into every single one of these like quote-unquote divas like one of the reasons why they like latch onto them so much is because it's a way for them to explore their feminine side without being judged and I mean even just the strong relationships the wanting to like emulate and like be the person that you adore we all do that we all do that in fandom culture I mean even just like looking up to someone as like a style icon you're like oh wow I love Dua Lipa and like she wore her hair like this and like I want to wear my hair like this or like you something like that you know it's like we all do it so it's kind of just interesting like it, a lot of these conversations are copy and paste, but also different, like within each little microcosm. Yeah, for sure. And there is one other article that I think put this idea really well, which was that there was this HuffPost article written by Joe Court, PhD, in 2012 called Diva Worship and Gay Men. And in this, he quotes from a book by the name of In the Rise and Fall of Gay Culture, written by Daniel Harris. And what Daniel Harris states is that at the very heart of gay diva worship is not the diva herself, but the almost universal homosexual experience of ostracism and insecurity. And that's going to be like a very reoccurring theme in this is that there's kind of like the seesaw effect of like if the woman is like doing too well. Or like not doing well and by not doing well being like really at like a low point rather than build them back up. They kind of turn on them and are like, we're going to make fun of you now because they think that they're allowed to for some reason. And it's just like this really weird thing where it's like when these women are being ostracized for being like out there and othered or whatever, they're like, heck yeah, we love you. We're behind you. We have your back. But like when people are ostracizing them for like reasons that don't feel similar to gayness it's all of a sudden oh we're gonna pick on them too yeah I think also like a prime example of that would be like Britney Spears in her 
head shaving era of like a lot of people kind of turning that into a joke and like yeah. a meme. She was going through real shit. And it's like, it wasn't yeah. just a gay community doing this. It was everyone was like literally just shitting on Britney because they could. But it's like, you're not really supporting them when it comes to serious stuff. It's not a joke. Like you can say it's a joke, but it's really not. Yeah, 100%. So, like, we wanted to have kind of an underlying example for y'all for us to come back to throughout this conversation to kind of tie in all those themes because there's a lot of female pop acts that this kind of theme correlates with. And I'm sure a lot of you guys are thinking of artists kind of like Cher or Madonna or Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, etc. Those kind of artists. But one of the first real examples of a female singer that gay men kind of clamored to and worshiped the ground she walked on and were like, yes, my my icon, my everything is actually Judy Garland, which I'm sure a lot more people know about than I would think because there is like a very common colloquialism within the gay community of referring to each other as a friend of Dorothy, which is one of Judy Garland's most iconic roles, which is playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. But Judy Garland really kind of set the stage for gay men to be obsessed with female divas of, of which is the best way to describe her and there was this really incredible article on the BBC by Louis Staples in 2019 called why is Judy Garland the ultimate gay icon and he had this quote at the start of the article from gay magazine the advocate which once referred to Judy Garland as the Elvis of homosexuals which I think is the best thing anybody's ever been called ever no more queen, no more icon. Everyone is the Elvis of homosexuals now. <laughs> Charlie XCX, not a queen. Elvis of homosexuals. And so also, for more context, he also has another quote in this from a 1967 review of one of Judy Garland's concerts at New York City's Palace Theater. And this was written in Time magazine. And as he says, they observed, quote, a disproportionate part of her nightly clack was gay. And two years prior to that being written, Judy Garland was asked about her large gay following during a press conference in San Francisco. And she goes, I couldn't care less. I sing to people. <laughs> and I just think that that's like, that's such a funny response because obviously like in the 60s, being gay is like way less of a thing that people can openly back than it would be now. And I feel like that's probably the closest you're ever going to get to like a 60s icon fully Judy with their Gar- chest being like, yeah, I do it for the she's and the they's and the gays and that's it. <laughs> if anyone said something like this in 2022, people would be like, we're not talking about all lives matter here like they'd be like uh recognize your gay fans or else like it's a very blanket statement of being like i support everyone (laughs) but in 1965 she's fully saying yeah i do it for the gays like that's what that that's that's what that sentence is translated to in 1965 (laughs) okay you do have a point you do have a point and so again that theme like we mentioned earlier about gay men really gravitating towards these kind of distressed women theme really sticks to Judy Garland. And so in a 1969 review of 
one of her shows of the Palace Theater in Esquire magazine, it says, and I quote, homosexuals tend to identify with suffering. They are a persecuted group and they understand suffering and so does Garland. However, queer historian Dr. Justin Bengry warns against generalizing in this way, saying, it's important to ask for whom is Judy Garland resonant, important, and iconic, he tells BBC Culture. It seems to be a significant category of gay men in particular who are invested in celebrities or the camp aesthetic that Garland embodies. But it's also important to recognize that they aren't the totality of gay men. Basically, like Judy Garland kind of was plucked from obscurity in small town America into fame and fortune of Hollywood. And a a lot of her backstory of kind of coming from nothing, exploding into musical Hollywood history, really just like stuck out to this gay male following of hers because they were like, oh, if she could escape the drabness of her life and explode into the world, like maybe I can too. Like not not all ostracized people have to continue to be ostracized, have to continue to be like left behind in their small towns. So it makes a lot of sense, like as Sarah just mentioned, like why gay men would identify with Garland if she's had to like overcome these obstacles, even just to begin with of like not fitting in and not being ordinary. And then the writer Louis Staples goes on to say that at this point, the motif of Garland as a survivor becomes central to her gay appeal. And when she was in A Star is Born, it further blurred the line between her work and her life and a professor named Richard Dreyer identified this moment where Garland's image of being, quote, damaged goods becomes an essential part of her star persona and gay icon status. And then the professor, Richard Dreyer, goes on to argue that Garland's work and life tells a story of survival, of someone trying to assert some form of control in a world that was set up to destroy her. And it's funny because for most women, for most women who choose to acknowledge the misogyny that exists in the world, this is everyone's story. Because it's interesting that like with all of the icons yeah. that we read about like Cher and Madonna and Lady Gaga being very key ones in the gay community they all have stories of like kind of like a damsel in distress almost moment where it's like they struggled through so much and they overcame yeah. and they they understand what it is to struggle but literally like it, it's just funny because it's like they're describing every woman's experience in the world of like every woman has struggles that they go through just some women choose to pretend that they don't and they also benefit from a lot of wealth and privilege so there's that too but it is it is funny that we do have this reoccurring theme within the divas that there's the idea of being this like distressed like damaged goods imagery yeah and I think it is really interesting because like you said every woman kind of goes through these similar things but it's kind of like a phoenix rising from the ashes story for a lot of these women that these men seem to be like clinging on to based off of like what's been written in a lot of these articles obviously we're not gay men so like we don't know from our own personal experience but again the recurring themes in a lot of these articles and a lot of these articles are written by gay men and they are like including themselves in these stories it's just like this really interesting theme of the gay men really attaching themselves to these women because they see these women having like the glitz and the glamour and coming from kind of nothing and so again in this article louis talks to super fan semple who i don't know who that is because there's no other explanation about the tension between his admiration for garland's work and his fascination for her life story and so semple says it annoys me when she gets boiled down to how tragic she was because her performances were so brilliant and she made some beautiful films it's a disservice to her body of 
of work to paint her as solely a tragic figure, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't obsessed with the story behind the curtain too. Louis goes on to say that Semple observes that the gay love for survivor women who have been cast aside continues today. Female pop acts who are largely forgotten by mainstream society still headline pride events every year. Judy was an early incarnation of that. And so I think that that is an interesting thing to point out because obviously like I would never say that like pop culture's forgotten Britney Spears or anything like that. But obviously because of everything Britney was going through with her conservatorship and all of that, her playing Bright and Pride Fest and like so many people referring to like it as like a Britney festival and like, oh, it's Britney Pride, like whatever. I feel like a lot of straight people, especially straight people who might not pay that much attention to pop culture, were kind of like, oh, Britney Spears still does stuff because they're just not paying attention to her or her story because this was like prior to all those documentaries and stuff coming out that just made me think about how we talk about like who pop culture is for and like who music is for and like really music fandom because when we think about like britney stands like britney's fans like those people are you know tuned in the whole time and it's the general public that's like less aware and it's the idea that like the general public or men aren't allowed to love mm-hmm. pop music aren't allowed to love any music to a certain degree like especially if it's a pop artist because obviously we have like metal and hard rock and that's a totally different story but th- this is like what we talked about in the fandom episode of like breaking down like male and female fans it's looked down upon the way that like girls love boy bands or pop stars but it's like gay men also love pop stars and it's just so like britney was never not relevant britney was never not you know part of the queer community but to to the outsider, to the people who don't pay attention, yeah. to the people who look down on that type of behavior, they would think that was weird, you know? Yeah, 100%. It's very interesting how certain people will kind of stay relevant and stay booked and busy because a certain community is backing them because i mean judy garland towards the end of her life and her career kind of was like broke and destitute and like not doing very well mentally and was like on a lot of medication and was drinking a lot and she spent like the rest of her life just going on tour and playing shows to predominantly gay male audiences who would both like sob and cry and be so excited about being in her presence but also at the same time tear her down and be like you're a joke this is disgusting you're a mess you're too drunk to perform and they're all like screaming and heckling her while also being like so excited to be in her presence and so that's like again this other theme of like the misogyny that does exist within gay men of them feeling like she kind of somewhat owes her career and her continued performances and everything to them and because of that they're like oh like we get each other we face the same adversity like I can kind of bully her and she'll put up with it because without me she would not be here right now blah blah and it's kind of like this thing where like it seems like based off of this article and other things we were reading that they believe it's a symbiotic relationship but the artist and the people around the artist are like no you're literally like leeching off of this person that like you claim is your god of life and so it's just like this really crazy misunderstanding hey podcast listener do you love talking about movies music tv comics and games then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine this season the panelists discuss the best james bond film the best elton john single 
the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. I mean, isn't stand culture always? I mean, like, I mean, that that goes for, like, also when we talked about, like, in our toxic stan episode and we talked about fans, yeah. quote unquote, canceling Ariana Grande because they didn't wear what they asked her to, which also, like, I don't know, like, if that was a gay fan or not a gay fan asking, you know, tweeting her that type of stuff. But it's kind of the same thing yeah. of, like, crossing a line because you think you own someone or, like, you think they belong to you. And then, like, if you get called out for it, like, oh, it's a joke. It's like, no, but it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a joke because you meant you, you just said it with your whole chest. And one of the other things that is interesting is like, why, why do we keep seeing like the gay men latch on to like straight women in particular? Because like, I mean, like there are definitely like quote unquote divas within the spotlight, Lady Gaga talking about being bisexual, stuff like this. But then a lot of these women, like either we don't, and especially Judy Garland, like we don't know their sexuality or they're just straight. And so also in this article, Staples writes that some gay men find more affinity in straight female stars than they do in those with their own community, a process that queer academic Jose Muniz calls disidentification and he says that he thinks that lgbtq people often assign queerness to characters or stories that are not explicitly queer as a coping mechanism as an example munoz suggests that when a gay man identified with garland he was quote writing in his way into the mainstream culture in which his own story could never be told and so this is what we talk about like with shipping or with like the one direction like larry stylinson of it all of like using someone else as like a way to project and explore your own sexuality but also like within the queer community we've talked about this a lot there's not a lot of queer representation especially when it comes to like film and tv and like especially with tv right now it's starting to get better but it's like there'll be these very like caricature or like tropey things of like gayness that actual queer community doesn't really identify with yeah And it's kind of like how I said at the beginning, this episode came from the idea of straights for the gays. What Jenna is referring to is gays for the straights, which is like the straight idea of what a gay person is that like is very accepted by the straight community. And so it's kind of, again, in that same way of like these gay men being like, oh, I can say weird shit to my female friends and like females kind of being like, oh my God, I need a gay bestie. I always wanted a gay bestie. And it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? And it's just like this very, I don't know. It's just like kind of, it it all feels a little bit dirty is the best like way I can describe it of just like these tropes that exist because of media and because of like the people who write in TV and media and whatever's discomfort with actual queerness and queer culture and all of that and like not really knowing how to involve those characters and like still placate to like the straight audience that is spending all of their money on things and so again in this same article louis writes contrastingly like to jose munoz's disidentification idea in the book how to be gay queer story and david halperin describes attention with the quote mainstream that leads gay men to be quote highly critical if not contemptuous of their own artists writers and filmmakers david halperin says that gay men often fail to warm to gay characters and celebrities because they, quote, 
don't often like the representation of gay men that gay men produce. Halperin suggests that this is because most mainstream representations of gay men from pop culture to politics pander to quote acceptable heterosexual norms. So kind of like what I was explaining before of writing like a gay that straight people can get behind. And so Halpern draws a key distinction between gay culture, where, quote, conventional white gay men are dominant, and gay subculture, where women, drag queens, queer people of color, and trans people are more visible. This causes some gay men to reject gay cultural figures that they perceive as geared towards straight people. And to use two very current examples of this would be like the cast of Netflix's Queer Eye, or gay Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, or Chris Olsen from TikTok uh like these people who very much are like oh that's a gay man sure and he goes on to write instead many embrace subcultural and in their eyes more subversive female narratives like garlands so I mean I think that that's a better more palatable explanation of what's going on of like the gay characters are like so gay that it's like a caricature of gayness to the point of they would rather see themselves within these diva personalities. And so again, it's kind of like this scale of things, like how do you weigh things out? Like, does their passion outweigh the misogyny or does the misogyny like outweigh the passion or like, is this an equal thing or are there more people who are fully backing these women than there are ones who are trying to like also tear them down because they think that they're on an equal playing field. And so there just are a lot of variables that go into like this gay diva worship culture. And I think that there's a lot of things for the people who are involved in that culture to really think about when it comes to like how they portray their support to these women in pop, just because yeah. they view themselves on an equal playing field doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. Yeah. I mean, a point that I kind of made earlier was like realizing your privilege in these scenarios of we all have internalized misogyny, folks. And just because you're gay, that doesn't give you a pass of like, yeah. I'm gay. So therefore I am not a misogynist. That's not how it works. And of course, like, you know, we, we're, no. we're talking blanket statements here, folks. Not every gay man is a misogynist. A lot of people are putting in the work to be better human beings. But it's always just like having your mind open to like learning. Maybe realize if you're like calling people out in a very mean way as a joke, maybe it's not a joke. But one thing that I did find really interesting yeah. and that like overlaps with a lot of this is that Louis also in this article writes that camp is a huge part of what draws gay men towards women like Garland and there is some camp to be found in her tragedy her successes and her bad behavior but some such as gay author Andrew Britton have argued that the existence of camp actually depends on restrictive gender dynamics that it claims to oppose and this sentence kind of like blew my mind a little bit and he goes on to say much has been written about the suppressive effect of the male gaze as you know we just talked about folks but surely the gay gaze is to blame also this is kind of crazy because you never really hear people talking a lot about this I feel like we've heard a bit of it here and there on TikTok, but it is interesting to kind of see it out, like laid out in front of you. And we do have another article in The Guardian by Brian O'Flynn in 2018 called They Just Wanted to Silence Her, The Dark Side of Gay Stand Culture, in which he calls out that gay men aren't even raining outright abuse on women. Their praise can sometimes reveal different forms of misogyny. One recent trend is to laud women by hailing them as skinny or skinny legend, a trope that took off with a meme about Mariah Carey. 
Though it is used figuratively to imply flawlessness, it is revealing that a word historically used to police female physicality has naturally evolved in the gay male vernacular. Can it be anything other than chauvinist body shaming? And then he goes on to talk about how skinniness is linked with the hyper-feminine characteristics that a lot of pop stars are expected to uphold. And he talks to Helen Moynihan, who is a self-identifying queer woman, who says the standing of Ariana Grande exemplifies precisely what is problematic about gay male idolatry. Helen says, often I think gay men only see beauty in hyper-feminine, not butch women. It made me laugh when Grande was called a queer icon because she is the least queer person to me, which would be someone who's always trying to escape hyper-femininity. Yeah, I think it is really interesting because all of these women that these men are so obsessed with are very, like, strong women but they're also very very feminine women but a lot of these women that they stand are just like very very feminine women and I do think that this is quite interesting because I feel like a lot of gay men also like again from what these articles are are talking about is it's like effeminate gay men are not the only gay men that exist like there are also quite masculine gay men or men who you would see and like not be able to like be like ah yes a gay because they don't scream what we were talking about earlier and like that stereotypical gay gays for the straights kind of way so it is just like this interesting thing where the discourse is following these gay men's obsession with these very feminine like hyper feminine women who very much kind of lean into like sparkles and lots of makeup and lots of like songs about boys but also female empowerment to some degree and that's who these gay men like and it feels like it's again that thing where these men to some regard are trying to like identify more so with women in order to separate themselves from like cis straight men because cis straight men are the patriarchy and in order to distance yourself from the patriarchy you have to like be obsessed with these women because the only way you're gonna feel okay with that obsession and like again the misogyny that is ingrained in you that they do enact towards these women that they stand so much is by kind of pushing themselves away from the patriarchy. At least that's what I'm getting from what we've been reading. It is interesting because, I mean, even when I was at the Charlie XCX show, because, like, we recently talked about her video Boys on, like, the the female gaze kind of way, and she played Boys live and it wasn't until I was there and she was playing boys live and it was like a room full of gay men singing along to boys I was like oh I get it now like something just clicked and well number one a lot of the pop stars that we have have to conform to patriarchal standards of what women should be. And Charlie XCX would be kind of more like an alternative pop star, but an alternative pop star who has worked extensively with like artists who identify as gay or who identify as queer or trans or whatever. So Charlie XCX is like deeply embedded within mm-hmm. like the queer community, but also someone like Lady Gaga, who's like talking about being bisexual But it just seems like a lot of times also when we have artists who talk about being bisexual, they haven't necessarily been in like public relationships with someone of the same sex, which I think is very interesting. Like a lot of time they're still in like a pure heteronormative 
to probably to appeal to a wider audience. And it's like, if you know, you know, but if you don't know, like you would never know. But also like Lady Gaga does a lot to push the boundaries in terms of what is expected from a pop star. Like her and I think like Cher would probably fall into this category too of like there's this other like vein of pop stars who because they're so over the top with their performance, it comes off as very like drag-esque. And I think both Cher and Lady Gaga have like worked Mm -hmm. very closely with like the drag community as well. I know Lady Gaga was like a judge on race nine of RuPaul's Drag Race and like Cher has had like drag queens on stage as well. So it's like they're clearly like working very closely with that community. But but it's interesting because it's like they are so much more closely embedded in that culture than like someone like Ariana Grande who just seems very heteronormative to me. Yeah. Well, I think that point you're making is really interesting because, like, again, in these articles that we're looking at, artists like Cher and Lady Gaga, there's a lot more backing up, like, why these gay men would gravitate towards them, whereas, like, Ariana Grande or Taylor Swift, like, or Dua Lipa, like, their names are brought up, but, like, there's never any real explanation as to, like, why they would have a gay following other than the fact that they might fall under that kind of, like diva umbrella to some regard because Cher and Lady Gaga put their money where their mouth is they exist within like this kind of middle ground sort of area where like they kind of just like do whatever they want and they support their fans without it feeling like a capitalist move and they're doing it or like a career helping move like everything they're doing feels like it's coming from their heart and soul because this matters to them so a lot of people are going to be like oh Lady Gaga is like the head icon of all of this but obviously like Cher came before Lady Gaga so like we'd be remiss to not mention her because she was doing what Lady Gaga I was doing like obviously not as insane like no meat dress none of that kind of stuff but like very similar sort of reactionary things that she was doing so there was an article in this publication called dig written by dara Chaplin in april of 2021 called believe how Cher created an anthem for queer romance so basically this article just starts with some context which says on the 19th of october 1998 Cher released the chart topping era defining dance pop anthem believe immediately resonating with the lgbtq plus community Around the globe, the song cemented Cher's reputation as both a pop icon and one of the most popular queer allied stars in music. Dara goes on to say that Cher's longevity, consistency, and journey to overcome hardship have all contributed to her importance within the LGBTQ community. Again, damsel in distress sort of idea. And then there's her fabulous fashion sense, which has led many drag queens to impersonate the singer. He goes on to write that she has repeatedly prevailed through adversity, whether that be her decline in popularity in the late 60s, her split from her first husband and singing partner, Sonny Bono, or her own health struggles with the Epstein-Barr virus and chronic fatigue syndrome. But Cher's importance within the LGBTQ community obviously goes beyond just like the adversity she's faced because she has done a lot to kind of celebrate the fact that this community celebrates and backs her and has like helped her throughout her career. So during a 1979 residency in Las Vegas, she actually hired two drag queens to perform on stage with her, becoming, quote, one of the first to bring drag to the masses, according to Canadian magazine McLean's. So her allyship has been developing. She's been kind of proving that she is a strong ally, that she's going to back the people that back her. And none of it ever feels like 
she's just doing it to amuse them or make them feel like they're cared about, like in the same way as some other people. It might be Cher's own child. Chaz Bono came out as a lesbian at age 17 before transitioning into a male legally and changing his gender in 2010. Um, And Cher has a close relationship with him. And her own activism has just like grown and expanded as she's gotten older and become more of like an icon within the gay community. And again, none of it has felt forced. Like she's been involved with GLAAD and she's won awards from them. And she's just done so many things, especially like it said, like she's just been like this icon to like the drag community. You can't go to a drag show really without seeing somebody dressed up as and doing a share impression. It's a very beautiful, like pretty symbiotic relationship. But it is, again, interesting that maybe it wouldn't have happened like that if she hadn't faced adversity in her life. Yeah, and I think, like I said, part of the aspect of Cher, too, is, like, she's just so over the top with her performances. And this is the point I was making with Lady Gaga. It kind of mirrors the drag community of, like, that aspect of performance and glam and going above and beyond. But I think also it's, like, even with that factor, like, they still conform to like patriarchal standards of femininity you know that's so crazy to me it's like and I think this is what the point I was trying to make earlier with Lady Gaga even like talking about being bisexual it's like even then there's still a degree of femininity that these gay fans align with and you don't see them standing like a more Mm -hmm. androgynous or a more masculine female pop star a la I don't know, King Princess or even Haley Kiyoko. Like, I feel like they're, and like, maybe I don't know, but I feel like they're, like, for example, those two, like, their followings are more women or queer women than they are gay men. And I'm wondering if it's that Mm -hmm. aspect of femininity that goes into it. I mean, based off of our research, I would think so. But also, I mean, it's the same thing where, like, Taylor Swift was name dropped in a lot of these articles. But, like, from my knowledge and, like, TikTok scrolling, it seems like any of the people in the LGBTQ plus community that are stands of Taylor's, the higher portion of them are lesbian or bisexual women and a lot of them stand her in like a very weird way and that they're constantly pushing like the gay agenda on her but also like taylor swift up until you need to calm down coming out was like very hush hush on whether or not she was even an ally a hundred percent and then kind of did a lot of things that felt like they were for capitalist gain, which is like this other side of things where I think that especially now that being gay is legal in a lot more places and like there are a lot more out people in Hollywood and whatnot that you see a lot of female and male pop acts kind of trying to figure out how they can weasel their way into like this gay man diva relationship that has existed for some time and doing these things that are very clearly have like ulterior motives in the ways in which they're like supporting the lgbtq plus community obviously all support is good in the same way that all press is good press but like it still feels icky sometimes when it feels like somebody's doing something just to like say they did it yeah actions speak louder than words folks but it is interesting because we do have a whole article called allyship or queer baiting how thirsty pop stars are courting lgbtq audiences in la times by nico lang in 2019 and while they do talk about this idea of like what is just capitalist activism and there's an interesting bit about nick jonas 
addressing crowds gathered outside to <laughs> honor Stonewall, which was really just funny side story. Like, why was he there in the first place? Don't know. Um, <laughs> but we do have some good points made, which is that what separates these artists and musicians from attempting to make a quick buck off the community is the mutual love expressed in their work. And Nico goes on to write, those who are held up as queer icons are anointed by their fans, not the other way around. And continuing to write that even though there are straight musicians that are adored by the gay community, their fans felt that they could better express themselves through imitating them rather than others. And I think that's like a key point to make is like people maybe trying to appeal to the queer community, but it just being fake or forced or pop stars who like don't really fit into this narrative. The thing is, is it's like he said the queer icons are anointed by the fans. Like, it is the fans who's, like, starting this and engaging this process and choosing who they yeah. back and who they represent. And, and I think especially with the Lady Gaga one is, like, we had a great article also by Brian Flynn in The Guardian in which he was talking about how Lady Gaga queered the mainstream. As in, like, at the time when she came out, like, the mainstream music industry was very heteronormative, very straight, very not a lot going on. And then yeah. Lady Gaga comes out of nowhere just, like, with all these insane visuals and like her messages even and like born this way and just like immediately being so loud for the gay community or like for the queer community and so it is like just another example of how these pop stars find themselves with large queer followings also in this la times article nico writes what makes this activism particularly important many say is that lgbtq plus people celebrate musicians such as Grande and Rihanna, both of whom identify as cisgender and heterosexual in a way that they don't actual LGBTQ plus musicians. The subject came up during a panel at the inaugural Billboard Pride Summit in August where RuPaul's Drag Race alum Trixie Mattel brought up the example of Swift's frequent collaborator Todrick Hall, a gay black man who has never had the same level of mainstream success as his more famous friend. Trixie said, even in the gay world, we have a hard time supporting other gay people. If a white woman with blonde hair was doing what Todrick did, gays would fall out. But because Todrick is a good looking man of color, gays are like, whatever, he's fine. And so that unpacks like a whole other can of worms about how the gay community has appropriated a lot because of their existence within drag which is very connected to black culture and there's a lot of appropriation of words and language and culture from aave and black african-american backgrounds and stuff within the gay world because of drag and it's just like a lot that it would take a whole other episode to get into and Honestly, it's something that we would want to talk to like an expert about because there's just like so much there and you want to handle those things correctly. But it is like a very interesting point and something that like we had kind of talked about earlier about how the way that gays are portrayed in media, it's hard for gay men to like back them in the same way that they do divas. It's like a psychological thing that like we are not equipped to like fully understand, but a lot of these articles, I think, <laughs> explain well, it quite I think, well. I mean, to your point of there's a lot of psychological layers to this of it's like even being out and loud and proud about being part of the gay community you're still like standing someone who fits into the idea of heteronormativity and I think it just comes back to that of like even at the end of the day it's still there we can never escape the the heteronormative patriarchy yeah and you can never escape pre-learn homophobia no matter how out and proud you are because again there is that thing of just like 
I can be gay, but do I have to really support all gay people because I am gay? And the answer is no, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. But it is just like an interesting thing to think about, especially in regards to people like Taylor Swift, who I think, at least from my viewpoint, has like a very questionable background with a lot of things. And that's like she hasn't spoken out against a lot of ways that her image has been used and things like that. But it's not a Taylor episode and I don't need to do that right now. But it is just interesting when you do have artists like Lady Gaga who still fits within that sort of like strong woman who comes from adversity or even Beyonce who gay men also do quite like of just like they have done more for the community than Taylor has like they're women that I can understand backing a little bit more and they like fit within all the tropes that we've discussed today but it is a very interesting relationship and it is interesting to watch as LGBTQ plus culture becomes more of like a mainstream thing how these mainstream artists are sort of clamoring to like be acknowledged and loved by specifically gay men. But also the thing that's interesting that like I haven't acknowledged at this point for some reason is that like a lot of these examples are specifically talking about gay white men because gay white men, if they're just like in a group of people, they're just a white man in the grand scheme of things. And so there is a lot of layers to unpack there of the privilege that they do have by being viewed by those outside of their circle as just a white man. And again, that brings us to kind of like the way in which negative stand culture exists in these worlds and how they will kind of meme the people that they stand the most and they'll make fun of them or they'll show up to like Charlie XCX signings and ask her to sign their douche or like do other fucking weird shit. That sometimes if you're not part of that community, you don't know what those things are. And so you wind up holding things in photos or signing objects that like you should not be touching because you don't know where that's been. But with all of this also, and as much as we love to talk bad about record labels, I do have to uh, give credit where credit is due in that in this LA Times article, (laughs) they do talk to the vice president of marketing at Atlantic Records, Brooks Roach, who is also a gay man. And he's talking about the importance of like allyship and like showing up and not just like doing a money grab for attention and whatever else capitalism. But he does say that they do frequently consult with GLAAD, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. So it's an LGBTQ nonprofit. Basically, they talk with them to ensure that their performers are well-versed in the language of the LGBTQ community to better speak to their queer fans. And I think that's really important because we talk about this a lot. It's like, don't go saying stuff if you don't know what you're talking about. And like this, this record label is like actually putting in effort to make sure that their artists are not being dum-dums and are not homophobic and are not going to say stupid shit on stage and educating them. And that's really important. But I also just think it's kind of funny. And I mean, I don't I don't know at what point they implemented this, but it is like a gay man saying that they're doing this. So kind of just makes me think like, if it weren't for him, they probably wouldn't be doing it with their artists. But I have no idea. But anyways, here's, a, here's an example of a record label doing something right. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, as we've, we've said, just because the factory's broken doesn't mean all the parts are. Because they're, you're going to find working pieces in any broken piece of machinery, you know? So some, at least somebody's <laughs> trying, which is always, always a good sign. Because, yeah, like we said, it's like, it's important to 
show genuine support and to do things that don't feel forced and feel icky like mastercard changing their logo to a rainbow during pride month or whatever is going on or like selling rainbow chip cookies at subway for a month or whatever weird things corporations do during pride month that just feel kind of half-assed and being like see look we believe in the gays and it's like dude what what the fuck in the same way where (laughs) it's like Lady Gaga is doing so much and has done so much and even Miley Cyrus has like come out as genderqueer and has talked about like their relationship of figuring out like their sexuality and has started a non-for-profit organization to help LGBTQ plus teens and stuff. Whereas Lady Gaga also works with charity and I think maybe has her own charity in the same vein. And so it's like there are people doing so much and there are people doing so little and like just it's embarrassing. And it's just like it's just really interesting. And like the the relationship that these specifically gay men have with these mostly very straight women it's such an interesting thing and I just can't get over the fact that the underlying thing is like oh they're fabulous and they faced adversity and I am also fabulous and face adversity therefore we are the same and it's just so funny because it just like harkens back to and it's like other research that we did that would like turn this episode into like a three week long conversation of just like the levels at which the misogyny goes within gay men of like how I'm sure I'm sure every single girl out there who's had some gay male friend has had them say at one point or another like oh you can take your bra off in front of me it's fine I'm gay or like oh vaginas are gross like don't talk about your period that's disgusting and it's like it's just part of who I am like you don't need to make me feel bad about it and like they think it's okay to say these things because they're like in the inner circle and it's like that honestly makes you worse than like the straight men that are being misogynistic because they're never gonna tell me my vaginas gross and yet like they a lot of gay men like think that those are okay things to say and all that sort of stuff so it is just like this very interesting thing of like again like I said like we talk about countless times in every episode like the unlearning of misogyny that women have to do also gay men have to unlearn homophobia and so sometimes it's like they might have hate towards themselves that they like don't know how to deal with. And it seems like they take it out on women because they're like, at least, you know, what's going on here. And so they kind of like worship these women, but at the same time are like, but you're a fuck up too. <laughs> and it's such a weird thing. That's like in all of these articles. And I'm like, what the hell? And it was just interesting to kind of see like the same point written by multiple people over multiple years in like the same way but different because like like as you guys know like every episode we do like when we talk about one theme it's like we're finding lots of articles that back up our thoughts our hypothesis our thesis statement what have you and this was like the first topic that really like the same exact thought was said multiple times but in different ways yeah yeah and because of the fact that there were so many articles repeating basically the same sentiment it's like clearly this is you know this is like a bigger issue or just a reoccurring issue slash theme and I think it's it's not something that we necessarily have a conclusion to but would be very interested to hear y'all's thoughts on it because I think this topic will be very interesting for you guys 
and we would love to continue to think about these things and learn from them and explore the topic. Yeah, definitely second that. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and feelings about this because obviously this is something that's been going on and is ever-changing and like the relationship between gay male stands and female pop stars is like a slowly changing environment as being gay becomes more mainstreamly acceptable which is just like it feels like a stupid thing to say especially with everything that's going on in the south of america right now where you can't be anything except for a straight white man but yeah like it would just be really intriguing to like hear your guys thoughts and your guys experiences with this if you personally stan a diva or if you have like friends or whatever the case may be we just love to hear your thoughts and feelings so you can share those with us over on social media we're at name three songs on instagram twitter tiktok or what have you slide in our dms at us comment on the post about this episode we would love to chat and if you want to get any bonus content like bonus episodes news episodes or join us on discord to talk within our community about what's going on including about our episodes you can do that at patreon.com slash name three songs so thanks for joining us this week on name three songs and until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to lady gaga don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit namefearsongs.com. 